Welcome back to the Her Advantage podcast. I am your host, Mel, and this is episode number seven. My guest today is fellow New South Wales slash ACT escapee, Ange Pickett. Ange is a copywriter. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, why does Mel, health coach, uh, want to have a copywriter on her podcast talking to women about using health to their advantage? Well, Ange and I met in our local gym. And every conversation I have had with this wonderful woman has always been solutions-based. She has faced a few challenges, both herself and within her family, and every conversation is active and, like I said, just solutions-based. She is driven. She is powerful. She is an absolute ray of light. And I couldn't not have her here on this platform. Now, as I was chatting with Ange, I decided that I wanted to change the name of this episode to Life Coaching with Ange. And once you start listening, you'll soon realize why. Ange hasn't always been solutions-based. She came from a life of working in corporate. And when she had her vine change, she found it very challenging to find her feet in the business world again. This episode has so many life lessons that are valuable for women at all stages of their life. And I also honestly truly believe that part of using your health as your to your advantage is understanding your environment and the language that we use. So without further ado, please let me introduce Ange and let's get started on today's podcast. I wasn't sure whether you wanted ice cubes going yeah, in the background. Story. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome, Ange, to my no longer Chinese laundry lounge room slash podcast studio. It's lovely. It's lovely to be here. So, Ange and I were deep in conversation before diving into this, and I was like, we just need to hit start and see where this goes. But I've asked Ange to come on the podcast today because I personally think she has a really cool story. And some really big messages along the way. The other thing that I don't think I've told you yet is that every time I have spoken to you, and I go to the same gym, and every time I run into you and there is a challenge in your life, you're a solutions person. You're like, yeah, this really sucks, but this is the reality of it and this is what we're going to do. You don't really sit in that place of victimhood. And it's made me want to ask you more questions about life. So is it okay that I do that today? You can ask as many questions as you like. You might just have to stop me when I talk too much. But I did. That's why I asked about the other podcast. I'm like, how long did that podcast take you? How am I going to have to like, how am I going to have to like time cap this? Um, the podcast I did last week. So it'll come out the episode before you at like an hour and a half. I was like, oh, how do I wrap this up? Like, <laughs> and I'd always been like, you know, you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast that are two hours long. I'm like, how do they even record two hour podcast? Now I totally understand. Yeah, definitely. We could easily, easily. talk for two hours. I'm not sure anyone <laughs> needs to hear me in their ears for that long. They can tune out whenever they like. <laughs> true, true. So, and you and I moved to the Barossa in 2016. Uh, 2014 for me, so a little bit before you. You're a little bit before me. So, and then, yeah, we met at the gym and we've sort of had similar social circles since. Can you give us, give us the 60 second version of who Ange Pickett is? 
Right. So Ange Pickett is a copywriter and content creator for female founders and family-owned businesses. Um, But that's not what I've always done. So when I arrived eight years ago in the Barossa, I had just finished a 15-year diplomatic career. Um, I finished a posting in Vietnam, in Hanoi. How long have you been in Vietnam for? For three and a half years. And... I pretty much landed in the Barossa with absolutely no idea what I was going to do next. All I knew was what I'd been doing for 15 years. As much as I loved so much of my job, I had by that stage a four-year-old and a six-year-old and I kind of knew I wanted to do something different. I'd just turned 40, so that was the other thing. Like It was like, well, you know, I could keep doing the same job or... I could do something new and my husband worked in wine and so the Barossa was kind of our our vine change and yeah I, I guess I've never heard that term before I made that up okay. because it clearly can't be it's not a sea change or a tree change, a tree change yeah. so I decided it was a vine change I'm claiming that you can yeah. you can um yeah and that was you know for a lot of people who change careers they change it because they change careers because they've got some burning passion or some hobby that becomes something they want to do, or they realize they can't go back to work with their children. Whereas, you know, I went back to work or started work in Hanoi with a three and a half month old. Um, and, you know, working for the public service was, it was kind of okay with kids. But you I had help over there though. I had lots of help over there. So I actually got the dud deal when we moved yeah. here uh, because, you know, when Simon was in Hanoi, he had a driver and a housekeeper and the kids were at school five days a week from the time they were two. Uh, and I was obviously working and we got here and I was suddenly stay at home, mum, housekeeper, designated driver. And we didn't even have a dishwasher, let alone a housekeeper. So, um, yeah, that took some, that took some adjusting <laughs> to absolute reality yeah. check. Like really like what, what have I done? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it was for, you know, for a little bit, I was a, a little bit lost, I guess. I probably didn't realize, um, I think like a lot of parents and a lot of mid-career people, I don't think I realized how burnt out I was. Um, mental health was not something back then that was spoken about no. in the public service. Still um, not, I don't think. I still don't think it's really addressed. And I think if I'd said... I'm not coping on this posting, they would have said, that's fine, pack your stuff up, we'll send you back. So you would never, you know, given how you fight to get an overseas posting, you would never have admitted you weren't doing particularly well. And, you know, I look back now that I have an appreciation of of mental health and, you know, anxiety and things like that. And I now realise, you know, probably I think I survived because I discovered exercise Mm -hmm. And uh, shopping was a nice outlet and there was always travel. And so there was always something else to, to look forward to or plan towards. Um, But that's not a particularly healthy way of actually living is only looking forward, like not actually enjoying what's going on in the moment. Mm. Um, But again, that's with the value of eight years hindsight that I can see that that was, that was kind of how I was living. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I want to pick up in there and I hope I remember to pick them up. But the first thing was you turned 40 and you were like, right, do I want to continue this? So as a woman in her mid thirties, how, what did 
mentally, what was your mindset going into 39-40? Did you feel like 40 was a big thing? Did you feel... I don't know whether I did. I mean, I guess, you know, for a bit of background, and obviously, Mel, you know my you know my mum. I mean, my mum and dad were older parents. My mum was 33 when she had me, which back in the 70s was positively ancient. My dad was 15 years older than her. So I guess part of me, I'd grown up knowing that age was no barrier to a lot of things. I'd watched my dad have career changes you know, as late as his mid-60s, and he worked through until his early 70s. I think every time you've posted a photo of him, he's always been in a suit, like a very professional, like, I, you get that vibe from him. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he was he wore a suit even when he didn't really need to wear a suit. But, yeah. you know, he was born in the mid-1920s, and yeah. I guess that was just the way he was. Um, But I think it was also, look, it was probably even before I turned 40, there was a moment... And I, I tell a lot of people this story that I went into my boss one day in Hanoi and this would have been maybe a year, a year and a half before I left. And I said to him, I'm doing the same, same stuff I was doing 10 years ago on my first posting, which was in China, in a much bigger embassy. And suddenly I was a bit more senior. I had a bit more responsibility, but I was doing the same stuff. And he just turned around to me and he said, but I'm doing the same stuff. I did 30 years ago here on my first posting. And I remember just having this moment of going, my kids are growing up and while, you know, and I adore my boys, but I was never, ever going to be the stay at home mum doing craft. It just, that was never going to be how it was for me. And I was like, I don't want to be necessarily sitting at home or watching the wheels with them, but I don't want to miss out on everything they do to do the same things over and over and almost deal with the same, you know, I can swear in this, can't I? Isn't that the sign of insanity? Yeah, doing the same thing. Yeah. And that was it. It was the same, I'm dealing with the same bureaucracy and the same things that would, you know, it was Groundhog Day so often. And I remember just thinking, you know, life is too short. And I guess the other thing was I had a good friend from my uni days um, who died around that time, you know, similar age to me. And I think that was the other thing I thought, do I want to get to my 60s and 70s having done this supposedly, you know, the career, you know, maybe become the ambassador, do whatever. But will I wonder whether there was something else? Mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to what I started to say was, I didn't know what that something else was. Yeah. I didn't know... I didn't have some burning passion that, you know, and people would be like, well, you like sewing. Why don't you sew? And I'm like, I don't want to sew for people. You are a really good sewer though. I, I know, but I do it for me. I won't yeah. even do it for my mother. Yeah. Um, and so there was nothing that I went, you know, and I liked, I liked writing and, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, well, I'll write a book one day. But that wasn't to me a realistic thing to do back then like I couldn't have just left and the reality was you know we were still early on in our you know family life we had these two kids who were just starting school you know I had to go to work like there had to be some and that was the reality like there still had to be some sort of income coming in and you know I was lucky I was able to take a redundancy and and leave and I guess have some time to explore so is that then, so was 40 sort of that, the mental health trigger, like all of those things sort of coming to light and being like, yeah, like you said, is this the life that I want to continue on with? I think it was that. I think it was also knowing that we were going to leave Hanoi mm-hmm. and that was, you know, 
moving anywhere is is such a big mm-hmm. upheaval and so coming back to Australia I knew was going to be a massive upheaval so I think I got to a point where I was like well why don't we just change everything like if we're going to change one thing was the original plan to go back to Sydney uh original plan would have been to go back to Canberra mm-hmm. and but we'd also at the same time because Simon had had three and a half years off mm-hmm. part of a I guess an idea was that we would take some time out like I would take some time off so I guess that was the other thing like I, we were we'd always sort of joked and you know with a reasonable amount of seriousness that so we'd go to a wine region Simon could start his work again in the wine industry he'd taken three and a half years off and stopped his, you know, put his career on hold. Maybe I would take some leave without pay or long service leave or whatever, and we'd do the same. And then I think it got to a point where... How long did you get? Um, I don't know. I think it was just that by that stage I knew, by the time it came around, like this, I think these ideas just started percolating away. And the yeah. more I thought about it and the more I'd have conversations. And, I, you know, I'd do things like I'd put up these, like... <laughs> awful Facebook posts where I was clearly not happy. And I remember a friend of mine in DFAT saying, well, you know, so foreign affairs and trade where I worked, she'd left by that stage. She's like, well, maybe if you don't like the job, you should look at finding something else, which was one of those ones where you go, yeah, like, why am I, why am I, what? So this Ange that I know now, the solutions Ange wasn't always the solutions Ange. No, I don't think I was. I don't think I could see a way, but also it was, it was so much of who I was as a person. Yeah. Like it was so much of who I was as my identity. Yeah. Whereas I think, you know, the difference has been over the last eight years as I've changed. I've done so many different things while I worked out who I was and what yeah. I wanted to be and that I've become less defined by the job that I do. Yeah. Um, but that was a big step. Cause like, you know, when you join, when you get that job as a graduate, you told like, you know, 2000 people apply yeah. and we take 30 and, you know, and then to get an overseas posting, like it's seen as it was fed so much into my, you know, my self-worth of who I was. And if I gave up that job, well, who would I be then? Like, yeah, you know, and that, that took a long time to sort of come to terms with that. But I think it got to a point where I went, well, I've got nothing to lose. I knew that I could always, I reasoned that I could always go back, but I didn't want it to be too easy. So one of the reasons we didn't go back to Canberra was I knew that if we went back there after, I think I could go back after five months or something, I could reapply. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want it to be, I wanted to force myself to actually then do something different. So, you know, that was part of, part of the reason was moving to the Barossa was, you know, it was wine, it was a different place and also came down to finances. It was a little bit like, well, where could we afford to live where there's not the pressure on me to have an income? Um, So yeah, it was, you know, it's sort of, it sounds really brave and really adventurous. No, yeah. Well, I mean, it is though. Like, how but many I think people are in Hanoi. Even how many people do we know in Sydney or Canberra that go, "I wish we could do what you did," and just think that there are so many barriers to this. Yeah, and I guess it, 
you know, and in, in some ways it might have been, there might have been more barriers if I was sitting somewhere else in Australia, but the fact that we were leaving anyway and kind of blowing up the life that we had in Hanoi and we weren't going to be able to recreate that. Yeah. So it was like, well, we're going to be starting, like the reality was we'd be starting from scratch yeah. in Canberra because, you know, we'd left with a two-year-old and a three, three, three-and-a-half-month-old. We would be coming back Did with... Did you have any maternity leave over there? Uh, I had a bit before I left. But yeah, it was kind of crazy. And again, in hindsight, not a particularly healthy thing to do to jump back. But I was like, oh, I've had one child already. I know what this is yeah. all about. You know, I had no idea what two children would be yeah. like. Um, so yeah, I think I think when I review a lot of it in hindsight, I'm not sure there are always things I'd recommend. But I guess taking that jump set me up to then take some other, you know, leaps of faith because I worked out that you know and I had a bit of a parachute so I'd started studying a master's so I was kind of like if it all goes you know I I wasn't completely leaving this career behind I'd started studying something else I thought that might be what I would do and so I started I started a master's in arts well actually I did finish it in arts and cultural management Mm -hmm. so while I was in Hanoi I had put on part of my job had been running all of our media and cultural programs. And so for the year that we were celebrating 40 years of diplomacy between Vietnam and Australia, we brought over Bangara Dance and Questacon Science Museum and Katie Noonan and all these other cool things. And I got to run this massive program with a big budget and run all these events. And I was like, oh, maybe that's what I can actually do. And by that stage, when we were talking about coming to South Australia, I was like, well, Adelaide's the festival city, so, yeah. festival state. Maybe that's what I can do. For those of you who don't know, in South Australia, that's our tagline on our um, <laughs> <laughs> number plates, the festival state. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and then, I, you know, and so that was I sort of, I wasn't completely without, you know, a life raft, but it was still fairly yeah. like, it was, it was very vague. I mean, the other thing is, and I don't, this is what I did when I moved here. I was like, oh my God, if I don't like it, I can go back, like go back to Sydney. I wouldn't go back to Canberra if you paid me, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was options there. So yes, you're blowing up your life and you're like, yes, cool. Let's throw a pin on a map and see what happens at the Barossa. But there were options for you. Yeah. Should you not? find your feet here yeah exactly yeah. although you know our kids settled so quickly yeah. and that was the at that stage six-year-old that went i'm never leaving to nanda so we kind of <laughs> i think i think he locked you us in said before you even yeah what was. exactly yeah. yeah so but you know that it's still you know that first year if i look back on it and mm. moving to a new place and moving to you know a reasonably small place um, and not really knowing who I was or what I wanted to be was was fairly challenging, but at the same time it was kind of liberating as well because no one yeah. no one knew who I was, and yeah. you know that probably that's part of finding yourself again though and not even recreating but allowing non diplomat Ange to come out and start finding her voice and yeah. finding her words and yeah. and look it's taken a few you know there's been a few. Some would say missteps, but to me, the things that haven't worked have been like another, they've been part of the path mm-hmm. anyway. And so I guess I always took this attitude that I would, I would try things and I would see, and you know, 
that's not always easy to then turn around and say, well, that didn't actually work. So when I finally, you know, I think one of the challenging things was I got here and I thought I'll just I'll just find a job, you know, and after having had some a job that was so stressful and so, you know, 24-7 and whatever, I was like, I just want to work in a shop and talk to people and, you know, chat and then go home at the end of the day and not be responsible for anything. But, you know, part of the problem was people would look at what I'd done and they were like, you're too over. What are you doing here? You're too overqualified and whatever. So, you know, in the end, my first, the first thing I did here, I kind of, I had to make it up for myself. And so, you know, I'd met people and again, it's putting yourself, I had to put myself out there, which, you know, I, I had done as part of my job in a foreign country. So yeah. it's like, right, I can sign up to go to an event. Or Which is can... really interesting. You know, you, to me, you going, hey, I've lived in China. I've lived in Vietnam. Like, that's scary and intimidating. But you're like, <laughs> came to the Bros with no, like, work really set up. It's like, that was really frightening. And I took some really scary steps. Like the, um, the I don't know what the word is. What's the word I'm looking for here? I don't know, but I guess the difference is like me going to China or to Vietnam. I mean, that was part of, you know, my job and there were, it was, I guess it was supported by a big machine Mm -hmm. of the department who then organized everything. And that was one of the challenges that the department still doesn't get very, that doesn't get right. They're really good at giving you support when you go overseas because there's a whole embassy over there waiting to look after you and, you know, take you out to find a house and help you, you know, connect with other people or, you know, explain to you how you should pay your staff or whatever. And then you land back in Australia and it's like, wow, things have changed in the last three and a half years. You know, where do I go to, you know, which mobile phone do I get now? What, what plan, what plan do I get? You know, how do I sign up for the internet? All these, you know, things that, in your head, you go, oh, it's easy. I'm coming home. Yeah. But things have changed and they're, they're, there's suddenly no one to help you out with that. So I guess I guess that was part of it. And that, that was what amused me to start with. But, you know, and I joke that I've spent longer deciding on the fact, you know, when we left Vietnam, we actually didn't know. We knew we were coming to South Australia. We didn't actually know we were coming to the Barossa. Yeah. And that was a bit of a, you know... I spent longer deciding on the hotel room for a night than I think we spent deciding where to move. Where we spent, yeah. you know, deciding to come to the Barossa. And so it was a bit of a fluke. It was a bit of chance meetings of people, yeah. chance job opportunities for Simon. And then, you know, getting here and pretty much rocking up one day and two days later moving into a house. Yeah. So um, in some ways, I didn't have, I didn't give myself time to think about it. And probably for six months, I didn't didn't really think about much. I just sort of did the things I needed to do, yeah. tried to work out how to be a stay-at-home mum, <laughs> studying. I was studying full-time. I was trying to make new friends. Yeah. I was trying to work out how you manage kids. I had one who'd gone to school, been going to school for two years who suddenly was at home, was only childcare like three days a week, trying to work out how I kept him alive <laughs> and amused. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it did take a while to sort of work out and, and I really struggled because I didn't, everyone's like, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Stop asking me. <laughs> Stop. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know what I'm good at. And, and the idea of starting my own business wasn't, it wasn't the first, wasn't a natural thing to do. So then you come back, you're like, 
you like yeah i just want to work at a shop or something and not have to think about it and these people are basically like what are you doing to you know to um qualify and like that also does something for your self-confidence right like it's like oh am i not wanted here am i not wanted what was the next step um so the next step from there i was pretty lucky in that i did have a friend who was a bit of a serial entrepreneur who happened to be doing some coaching Mm -hmm. and i said i'd be her guinea pig and I can remember, you know, she was like, right, just big picture. And I've still got, I've kept the like massive mind map that I did with anything that I could possibly do. And I remember, you know, about three sessions in with her going, maybe I'll start a business. And that was a real, like, that was such a massive shift because I came from a family, like no one in my family ran businesses, no one in my extended family. So we No, so he'd always worked, like he'd worked for BHP, he'd worked for the Novotel, he'd worked for basketball team, like he'd done lots of different things, but he'd always been an employee. And so the idea of like putting putting yourself out there and and to me that was just, it just wasn't a natural thing to think about. And it was only that, you know, through some people I met and they were like, because I'd what I'd worked on, I'd worked on free trade agreements in in Vietnam as well, and in back in Canberra, and they said, "Oh, you should you should do some consulting," and so the next thing, you know, I'd set up this consulting business, yeah. and my attitude when I started that, and this has probably been something that has really evolved, and I've you know, at the time was a really bizarre thing, but now is just how I operate. Was I'll give it a go. I'll learn from it. I could spend two years researching it to see whether it's the right thing or I could just jump straight in, give it a go and and see what I get from it. Yeah. And so I did that for two years and, you know, it. I had a bit of fun. Like I had my own branding. I had a website, which I now look back as a copywriter and go, oh, my goodness, that was awful. Like it was all we, we do this and we do that. Like it was only ever me. Um, but in my That's head, what they say to do, right? yeah. like you just got to put something out there. And if you don't cringe at your first idea, you were, you created it too late. Yeah. yeah. And it was, a, but it was this whole idea. Like in my head, I still had to be like a big company. Like I had to be a business and had to sort of act like that there was more than me. Whereas now I'm very much, you know, my copywriting business is me. It's who you get. Yeah the reason you work with me is because you actually like me and you want to work with me and I'm the right person for you. And I'm, you know, now embrace, you know, my faults and my quirks and my experience. Whereas back then I sort of had thought I had to pretend to do something else. And it was, and I was, and it was really, it took me until it was about two years in and I just, I realized it wasn't, it didn't ever really make money. It wasn't a viable thing. And I remember having to send an email to a few people and it was mainly here in the Barossa that I was doing it. Like it was very much a locally focused business, but I made all these amazing contacts Mm -hmm. and I met people, but then having to send an email and decide and basically say, I've decided to wind up my business. Um, You know, I didn't owe anything and I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I was letting anyone down really but I remember being really embarrassed. Like it was like, I failed. Uh, this is even though in, in my heart, I was like, it's just not the right thing for me. Like I left government. So I didn't have to play nice on things I don't agree with. And I'm back doing the same thing. You know, it's not the right thing. 
And I remember sending that email and it felt so, you know, by that stage I was probably 42, 43 and going, oh, well, tried that. Oh, well, that's failed. And by that stage I was working for a winemaker and I think by then I was like, oh, well, maybe this is just, I'll just have to work for somebody else. And But it was such a relief as well that I could stop pretending that I was doing the right thing as well. But it did mean that when eventually copywriting came along and that sort of became an opportunity, it took me a little while to admit that I was starting a business again because I was really worried that people might think, oh, well, she's run a business before and it didn't work out. Oh, really? So maybe she's not very good at it or maybe she, you know. So it it was really... I took a long time kind of going, yep, this is what I'm going to do. I was sort of dabbling in the edges. I remember talking to you really early on and a few other people. And, and then I started working for other, like a couple of other copywriters, like one in Canberra and one overseas because I didn't really want to sort of say too much locally because I just, I didn't really. Did you feel like you'd burnt bridges or what, were you just worried about what people would think? Yeah. I just think it was that sense that, you know, maybe, you know, I didn't, they didn't know what my skills were as a copywriter, but there was that sense of, well, maybe they're not a very good business person. And even though I had written a blog post when I wound that business up, that was basically, you know, it's not a failure. This is what I learned from it. Yeah. And I, I think part of it was, I was trying to convince myself. Oh, like yeah. I was like, it's, it's not, I haven't failed. I'm going to take, and you know, and I could find all the good things that I'd gotten from it. And I think it was a really good lesson to learn to walk away from something that doesn't fit, but also, I guess, something I've learned now. And so now I've been in business as a copywriter longer than I had that business that I can see that. Are you proud of that? I am. I am. And I'm really, and you know, for, for the first couple of years as a copywriter, um, and I'm sure this is a lot of small business owners, you sort of tell yourself that, you know, I basically said, well, I've had my big career, you know. This is just the thing I'm doing to fill things in. You know, one day I'm going to write a book and, you know, but until I retire, I'll just, I'll just do this on the side. And I really, I played really small with it. I was like, as long as it doesn't lose me any money, as long as I do the right thing by clients, it doesn't have to be. I'm not building an agency. It doesn't have to be a successful business. I'm not playing with the big kids. I'm just doing this quietly under the radar. And then... I think probably about a year and a half ago, I was like, that's just bullshit. Like it really was just, and I was, it was the story I was telling myself Mm -hmm. and I'm sure we all do it in Mm -hmm. loads of other areas of our life where we sort of, I told myself that so that if it didn't work out that I I wouldn't have, wouldn't have failed again. Um, Both that I wouldn't have thought I'd failed, but other people wouldn't have. And then I just realized that, you know, I was like, no, that's, that's, that's actually rubbish. And I'm a big believer now in, you know, you define what success looks like to you and it looks different to everyone. And I think the other thing I've learned is there's no end point. You know, it's a bit like life, you know, it just keeps going. And I think if you ever get, you know, a bit like in life, but I think in business, if you get to a point where you're like, oh yeah, I know how to do this with my eyes closed. Well, you know, as you were saying with that other comment before, you're not trying hard enough. You're not doing... If it's not challenging, you may as well just, you may as well just stop and you're not growing and, you know, 
unless you're doing something that you really, really enjoy and that's enough. Mm. But I think what I've now realised is that that growth and that changing things and learning and trying to get things right. And the fact is, you know, no one I know, even the, the best, most experienced business people are continually tweaking and changing and challenging themselves and thinking they've done the wrong thing yeah. or, you know, like, you know, imposter syndrome is so know, real. It's so real. And, and the best, but the best thing for me was realizing that that's everyone. Yeah. Like, I think if I'd realized that, you know, and I guess the other thing is in anything, and I think that's probably been what the Barossa has taught me. And, you know, whether it was the community at the gym, whether it's the community on the sidelines at kids sport, but even my, the online communities I'm part of, I didn't have that. And I didn't have that, you know, in the diplomatic service, you know, I remember, I remember somebody outside of, outside of foreign service who I was studying with at the time, who was actually in the military. And he's like, you guys would sell your own grandmother to get ahead and it was really that sort of dog eat dog kind of it's true, was yeah. so competitive. And so I didn't ever have that. Like, sure, while you're on posting, you've got this group of people that you're all there. But it was actually really negative. Like it was that instead of lifting each other up, I think a lot of the time we pulled each other down. Like we Tall poppy kind of thing. Well, not so much tall poppy, but we all told each other our, our miserable stories. Yeah. And we all became more miserable. Yeah. Whereas now I'm part of these communities where we share the ups and downs, but also, and I see people who are more experienced than me dealing with the same things. I'm like, right, well, that's just, it's actually part of being in business. Yeah. And more to that, it's just part of life. Like if we're not, if we're not changing and challenging things and, you know, and I guess it's like a lot of the stuff and the people that you work with, it's not just because something you've always done something one way doesn't mean it's always going to work. Yeah. Um, well, like, you know, what worked for you in your 20s and 30s isn't working for you in your 40s. Like it's... Yeah. Yeah. And whether that's, yeah, whether that's just how you work. And I guess my other big thing was, you know, I realised that I didn't want to get, I didn't want to have to wait until I was retired to to do stuff yeah and I think that's you know I think I've I feel fortunate that we've that I'm part of a generation I guess that has realized that and you know sure I look at friends who are now ambassadors and doing all these things and who look really established and I'm like that's fine but I don't know the full story 100% like I don't know how happy they are I don't know what their partner's doing that supports that I don't know if they've got a partner I don't know how their kids are you know, I don't know what their family circumstances are. The media photos look great though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I have to know what works for me. And I'm, I guess I'm now really aware of what works for me this year. Mightn't be the same thing that works next year. Yeah. You know. So where did it, where did copywriting come from? Um, so working I'd, for a winery. Working for a winery. I'd, I'd pretty much from the time I'd arrived in the Barossa, I'd been, blogging and part of that was I'd always liked writing yeah and I'd always had an opinion and things I wanted to write about and the thing that frustrated me about being a public servant uh, and particularly a public servant in the 
Facebook social media age was that I wasn't allowed to comment on things. I wasn't allowed to have an opinion. And that was probably one of the the drivers, you know, as as social media sort of became more a part of diplomacy. And um, so I was writing, blogging a bit and um, I wrote a blog about Angus, my eldest's teeth being photoshopped uh, in a school photo. And it was a bit of a misunderstanding with the school photographers. They had a new uh, staff member who wasn't very experienced, looked at the photo. And so Angus at this stage was probably year two or year three. And the reason I worked out something was wrong was I looked at the photo he'd had with his brother and then I looked where they did the the sibling photo and then I looked at his photo and I'm like, they look different. What's different? And in his individual photo, they'd photoshopped his teeth. How? Yeah. Yeah. And the excuse the person had given was he looked really uncomfortable and like he was sort of clenching. And so they'd photoshopped it, but they'd photoshopped it with his mouth from the year before. So it was still his mouth. It was just a different year. And so I wrote... I was just fascinated that this had happened and I shared it. They photoshopped it. his smile. They like, photoshopped his smile. Paste yeah, from, from the, the year, year before. before. <laughs> and I, so I shared about this in a group that I was in as more of a, does this happen? Like I was really like, yeah. and I wasn't critical of the business, but I was like, does this happen? But also I realized that, you know, we live in an era where we can put a filter on things yeah. and we can... Like our, our kids are playing with their phones and they can put fun filters on and they get that. But, you know, what does it say if, if their school photos are being airbrushed? And, you know, I've got really bad, you know, I had really bad buck teeth, had some bad hairdos. Yeah. Like that's all part of, you know, that, yeah. that journey. And, and I guess by this stage I'm starting to go, Did you know. Did you notice? Um, not at the time. It was only when I sort of, <laughs> we looked yeah. at it. And so I shared this in a group and the person at that stage was a blogger and she's like, well, can I write a story about it? I said, well, actually I've got a blog as well. I'd really like to write a story. And so I wrote a story. She then wrote another blog. She had like tens of thousands of followers. It got picked up by the media and it blew up completely. So I had the project ringing us and channel nine, like the today show wanted us to go to Adelaide and do a segment. And then it just snowballed. So it was getting picked up overseas. So a friend of mine was in the U S for work, watching the today show in the U S and obviously had seen my Facebook post about it. And the next thing there's, Andrew's face there's yeah, there's the my news. son's, my son's face without his eyes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found and I, long story, I guess, but I realized that all these media outlets were using my text, my blog post as part of their article. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. I should be getting paid for this. So that's when I started to do a little bit. I started to explore a bit of feature writing. And then because people knew that that's what I was interested in, a friend of mine was connected me with another copywriter. And at that stage, I didn't even realize that that was really an option. So I joined a copywriting Did you know what group. Was? Um, I think I knew of it as a sort of an advertising concept. I hadn't realized that I could get paid to write 
like a blog post and that was the first thing I did for her. So she was working for a big... Can I tell you about my social media? Is this where we're going? <laughs> Maybe. We can talk later. Um, I probably don't do as much social media. But, you know, writing, I didn't realise that, like, there are big companies that yeah. were paying serious amounts of money. And so I wrote this blog post and this was after having, like, pitched articles to magazines and they'd go, yeah, that's great. And then the next month you'd see them having written it themselves with their in-house person. And I was like, yeah, this is, there's got to be something else. So I, I wrote this blog post and I got paid for it. I was like, why haven't I thought of this? And yeah, it took a while, but then, you know, going back to it, you know, I said it started, it was really hard to get started again, mm. which seems crazy now. And I, I sort of regret that I didn't, like I joined this amazing community. I had a lot of support, but it was just, trying to work out how to start a business again and I guess recreate myself. And it's really only been because I finally found the community that I didn't have the first time around yeah. who, you know, I got training, I got support, I got that sort of mentoring, you know, I had another copywriter as a buddy who I would check in with. And I, I finally had someone who I felt I could kind of have that discussion about building a business, you know, and that sort of, coaching that yeah. I didn't really have the first time around yeah. um which I just think was you know that was so valuable and I think it's why I'm really now much more open to the idea that we don't have to know everything yeah. that you know it's still a hard pill to swallow that though yeah well I think that's it I think you get to a point I think we're sort of fed this idea that you do a degree yeah. and you get some qualifications and then you start your job and then you will progress through that Mm -hmm. and I think the other thing is you know I came from an environment that was very much someone else will tell you when you're progressing Mm -hmm. so you know you'll you might apply for the next promotion or whatever and so just get feedback as to yes or no not just yeah yeah whereas now I'm suddenly 100% in control and I think because I had spent so long you know going back to the original part of our conversation about being defined by who I was, the idea that I got to decide, you know, who I worked with, when I worked, how much I charged, you know, how I positioned myself um, was just so liberating and exciting. But at the beginning was really, really scary. Whereas now that's what I love. And, you know, so many people I know, now who have started businesses and particularly copywriters but lots of other you know online or digital marketers or other small business people and I guess that's a lot of who I work with because I realized that I didn't want to just write copy for people one of the things I love the most is watching someone change their career and build a business that actually fits with what they want to do and so that they can volunteer in the community or they can you know, prioritize their exercise or, you know, having a garden or doing all these things. They don't have to, you know, and to be successful doesn't mean they have to work nine to five in a full-time job where someone else pays them and just determines decides when they get a promotion, when they get a promotion or when they go on holidays or those sorts of things. Um, you know, and I think, I think it's part of it is the older we get, you know, and I think, particularly now as women, we kind of go, no, that doesn't work anymore. I don't need to be told how I'm going to do this. I actually want to be in charge of it 
myself. And I think that's why a lot of women are starting businesses because, you know, it is... They're sick of being told what to do. Sick of being told what to do, but also, you know, it's the only way to carry the, the, the mental load. Mm. Like, that's that's the reality. And whether, you know, whether there's a partner involved or children or whatever, I still think that, you know, as as sisters and nieces and daughters and whatever we do carry a lot of that yeah you know whether it's our community or our friends or our you know family we want to be there for everyone and so for me the only way to do that is to run my own show so that I can decide you know I'm going on leave now I'm not here I don't have to ask you know I don't have to ask someone else for permission anymore yeah which so I have two questions. What would the Ange now tell the Ange three months into her copywriting experiment? <laughs> um, and the second question, um, how has you being liberated in business trickled into every other area of your life? Right. So Ange now would tell the Ange from early, the very start of her copywriting career to just get on with it <laughs> and to just jump feet first. Um, the other thing... What does that look like? So what are maybe three things that you... I would have I probably shouted it a bit more from the rooftops and sent a message, sent an email to everyone that I knew and said, hey, this is what I'm now doing. If you need anything written, this is what I'm writing yep. kind of thing. Regardless of past business yeah. relationships. Yep. yep. I would have gotten in touch with a lot more people. And... Are you working with any of those businesses now? Uh, yes, funnily enough. <laughs> funnily enough. And what was interesting was not ever did anyone say... You're a bad business person. You're a bad business <laughs> person. Because I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I, you know left contracts unfulfilled or I owed anyone money or whatever. It was just, you know, yeah, exactly. It was just the, the internal, um, the internal stories, I guess. Mm-hmm. And also the realization that I didn't have to have everything perfect to get started. Okay. So, you know, a comment I make a lot and I post a lot about, which is from my mentor Kate Toon is you don't need all your ducks lined up. You just need one duck. Because if you wait for all the ducks to get lined up, they'll all be dead. So you just need one duck and you just start with one duck and then you can gradually line them up. I like that. So that's been my, you know, that's what I, and I, and I now, you know, I now tell a lot of other people to just, you know, start with one client, start with writing one thing. I would have written a lot more for myself to start with. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's that. Um, now what was the other question? How has being in business liberated you and being liberated you and coming out into your true self trickled into every other aspect of you? I think I'm just a lot more confident as a person and it sounds really crazy because I think for a lot of, to a lot of people I had this outwardly confident, um, persona, but a lot of that was, I guess, a bit of a facade and a bit of what I did, but I'm now much more prepared to say that doesn't work for me anymore. So whether that's in a voluntary position, um, I'm now, I guess I'm just more settled and happier in myself because I'm not trying to pretend that I'm something that I'm not. And I'm not constantly looking ahead 
to the next thing. Like I'm not looking for that sort of external gratification, which I think was a lot of what it was, was waiting for some or waiting for someone else to, to make me feel better or waiting for something else. So whether it was work was terrible, I'll go and buy a new dress to now just going, well, if work's terrible, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I still do it, but I guess that's it. Like now I'm, I'm the one that's, you know, in charge of it. So if something's not right, I've actually got to take responsibility for that. And so whether that's my health's not a hundred percent, I now know, you know, I know what I've got to do with it. It's not, and I'm not looking for that quick fix solution anymore. Like I'm not looking for some, I don't know. I think I now realize things take work. Things are an evolution. I don't expect, you know, some 12 week challenge is going to suddenly make everything look bright and shiny. Yeah. Um, everything's a bit of a, and I'm a work, I think the other thing is I'm a work in process. Yeah. A work in progress, I should say, about everything. So, you know, nothing is ever a hunt. There'll always be another shift to make and another change and another little sort of evolution and yeah. and that you're going to learn something from every step that that step is important yeah, yeah definitely and i think you know and it's being open to going that didn't work anymore you know and going back to what we said at the beginning that doesn't serve me anymore what else what can i do differently it's not and it's not that i've failed with that mm-hmm. um you know and it's things like you know, I go through stages of being a runner and there's part of me that still wants to be a runner. And you just... and I will never relate to this on this. On this, on this. <laughs> we will never be on the same page. The only thing I run from is my problems. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, that's part of me. I'm never going to be a great runner, but there's part of me that still wants to do it. And instead of going, oh, but you've tried that before and that didn't work. Yeah. There's part of me now that goes, oh, well, give it another go. What's the, what's yeah. the worst that can happen? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, and it's me making the decisions and I'm not waiting for someone else to tell me what to do kind of thing. Yeah, 100%. So, and is there anything else you'd like to add? I don't know. I feel like we've talked about a lot. Is there um, anything else you want to ask me? No, I thoroughly enjoyed this and I feel like I'm going to rename this episode something like Life Coaching with Anne. <laughs> because I think all these messages are really important and... I mean, for women in their 40s, for women in their 50s, for women in their 20s to hear that you're not stuck in the same position, but everything needs work. And yeah, yeah, I think it's also one of my um, first mentors talks about learning in that it's not so much the learning, it's the unlearning of everything. So you coming out as a diplomat going, right, who am I not? Like what's not fitting with me? And then who am I? Not just, again, trying to fit another square peg in a square hole. Yeah, and, and I guess the biggest thing is that, yeah, nothing's wasted. Like, I think there's that sense that, you know, if you're in a point in a career where you're not happy and you think you want to do something else, don't look at it as, well, I've wasted all these years yeah. doing something or, you know, or I've studied something and now I've worked out that that was a waste and I shouldn't have done that and it's too late to go and do something else. Because I don't think it is. I think there's always, you know, you can always change and you can always, and it might be a really subtle shift. You know, it could be as simple as just changing departments in the place that you work or changing the people you work with. But I think, 
yeah, I think the big thing is nothing's nothing's ever wasted. So, you know, there will be, you will have learned things. And even if you can't concretely think, well, I took something away from that, I think, you know, it might be years later that you realise what you got from each of those situations. So, Absolutely. you know, it's you can take that change. And also you can change back if you need to as yeah. well. So Absolutely. So where can people reach out to you? They can find me mostly these days on Instagram wow. at Angela Pickett Copywriter. Uh, I will pop that in the notes. And again, online, just at Angela Pickett, one word, dot com dot au. What's on your website? Do you have blogs? Do you have... I have a lot of blogs. So lately I've been writing, this year I've written a lot more about, I guess, some of the lessons from my business experience, yes. the things I wish I'd known when I started out. Um I am about to write, well, I'm in the process of writing, so it might not be out when this episode comes out, but a blog about uh, some other women who've started businesses in their 40s mm-hmm. uh, because I think there's some really interesting stories out there. And I've just launched, I've just released a blog on networking for people that Ooh. would rather run a mile when they hear the word networking. Um, so <laughs> if the idea of networking conjures up, I guess, you know, sleazy men with business cards and gives you hives uh it's not true there's actually other ways to network and it's as simple as you and i meeting you know at an event that we both go to because we have the same interests and we start talking about our businesses or you know chatting to people at the gym and finding out what people do because it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be icky. This is a whole nother conversation for like another topic. But I think as well, like when you start a business, obviously sales is front of mind. So even if you're just trying to genuinely connect with someone, you feel like you're going to come across sleazy because that's what's in the back of your mind. That's even though that's not your intention. Yeah. Um, I have one more question and now I can't remember. Oh, well. I'm going to let Ange finish her growing me now because I finished mine and she hasn't had a minute to take a breath. So, like I said, I'll add Ange's um, Instagram handle in the show notes. You can find her on her website and she is 100% approachable. So, if you are thinking, all oh, that does resonate, shoot her a message. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with someone or tag us in your stories. Thank you. Thank you. There we have it. Another episode done and dusted. I do want to apologize for the quality of that audio. My training wheels are definitely still on, but in the next fortnight, I am actually having a chat with an audio technician about how to set this up properly. So thank you if you have been listening and putting up with this so far. However, I will ask if you did find this episode useful, please share it with a friend, hit subscribe and let Ange and I know in our DMs what you thought and what your biggest takeaways were. Until next time.